Hey, I'm Austin. I'm a lead pastor here at Chaparral. Glad you guys have joined us today. Uh, before we get started, I actually want to highlight somebody. Uh, Abe and Casey Bowman are right there in the back. She's got her arm up. I want to share a little bit of something that they're up to uh, this month and even in their neighborhood the rest of the year as I try to catch my breath. Um, their neighborhood decided that they wanted to do something that as a church we are all about, we talk about it a lot, we talk about we are blessed to be a blessing, meaning we're not just here to worship, we're not just here for ourselves, although there is a part of all of that, you know, however, we're here for the good of the community that we're embedded within. And one of the most practical ways you can do that is by embodying that in your neighborhood. And so one of the things that they are doing in their neighborhood is super cool. Uh, we're just talking about it outside. They are doing a project every single month where a neighbor, a different person, picks a group to support in some way. And uh, this month, they chose to support Foster Arizona, which is Kim's organization, uh, who just led worship Kim. Uh, the uh, Foster Arizona, and what they're doing is they're gathering together a bunch of supplies, a bunch of gift cards to donate to these uh, young men, young women who are aging out of the foster care system, which if you don't know how that works, a lot of times it can feel like jumping off of a cliff. You're really, really well supported. You're really, really well supported. You got all of these things, and now you turn 18, and you're done. And I don't know too many really like sub heavily supported 18-year-olds that are ready to jump off of that cliff, much less somebody whose parents might not be in the picture at all or might be in the picture, but they're actually kind of bad news or just are in a really complex situation. So as you can guess, a lot of people that are going through that are struggling. Well, that's one of the things that Kim helps with. And what they're doing is in their neighborhood, in the Bowman's neighborhood, they're gathering together. And it's not just Christians. It's people from all different faith backgrounds. And they're saying, hey, we're not here just for ourselves and just to have nice little parties for ourselves. We're actually here to help and bless other people. So Abe and Casey took it upon themselves to collect together a bunch of the supplies that their neighbors are going to drop off at their house, uh, gift cards and uh, toiletries and all sorts of stuff. And I just thought, first off, I want to celebrate the fact that they're doing that. Could you guys give them a round of applause? There's nothing I like more than people doing the stuff that the church should be doing, and I don't even know about it until it's like almost done. They're only doing it through the end of the month. Uh, here's, here's just a little bit of a call to action. As you just heard with Corey, there is a lot of stuff happening here from Family Promise to uh, Workday to just tons of stuff always going on. Um, if you can, a simple way, we can give you a list, but what I think would be the easiest thing, because there's only one Sunday left before uh, they take it in, if you can just give some gift cards uh, to, to these teenagers, that would be really good. What they do is when they get their little apartment, they give them $100 worth of gift cards to the grocery stores uh, nearby so that they can stock the pantry a little bit. So what are the grocery stores? Bashes? Bashes, fries, and Walmart. So uh, would $25 denominations be good? Uh, what they'll do is they'll put that stuff together. So if you have two $25 gift cards, they'll bundle it with another couple and so on. If you bring that in, Casey is right there in the back, and you're just going to hand it to her next week. Are you guys going to be at church next week? 
You have to now, yeah. Uh, if you guys were going up to the cabin or something, that just changed your plans for you. All right, so there's that. If you, if you bring that in, just go give it to Casey. If you don't, if you can't find her, you can come get uh, Corey, Dakota, or anybody else, and we'll make sure that it ends up in the right spot. But that's what we're about here. We're about being a community of people that is bigger than just ourselves. Well, as you can see, the book of Jeremiah, we're starting a brand new series. And this series is going to be a long one. We're actually going to go all the way up to Easter by talking about Jeremiah and talking about uh, this Old Testament prophet. Now, when I say Old Testament prophet, you might think, oh boy, here we go. Who here has ever tried to read the Bible from beginning to end? Raise your hand if you've ever tried to read the Bible from beginning to end. Okay, thank you. Now, I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to be 100% honest with me. You do not get any Jesus points if you lie about this. You do not lose any Jesus points if you lie about this, because there is no such thing as Jesus points. And you do not gain any credibility or lose any credibility in my eyes or anybody else's eyes. We're not going to be judgmental here. Who, tried, who has ever tried to pick up the Bible and read it straight through and quit before you got out of the Old Testament? <laughs> yeah! If I had five arms, I'd probably have to raise all five of them for the number of times that I have made that mistake. Uh, maybe not even mistake, maybe just resigned myself to not understanding it. Because it's dense and it's difficult and it's not the most easy thing to read. And I see you, one of my jobs as your pastor is to help give you guys tools and even for myself to learn and grow in ways of understanding the Bible so that when you pick it up, you can actually understand a little bit of it. Because it's not very helpful if the only time you're being fed is by me. This is not much in the grand scheme of things, but rather daily, uh, regularly, when, you're, when you understand something, and you can grow from that. That's the real goal. We know that this stuff is really confusing, though, and, and sometimes it's really straightforward. You read some of the New Testament epistles, some of those shorter letters, little proverbs make a lot of sense, kind of fortune cookie-ish stuff. Uh, some of it makes a lot of sense, and some of it is really, really difficult. And so rather than us just ignoring the really difficult stuff, we actually kind of want to lean into it, because I think if we can put in that work, if we can put in the time, then some of these things that maybe frustrated you a lot, maybe annoyed you a lot, or that you just skipped over quite a bit, you can actually say, you know what, I, I kind of get what's happening here, and this is becoming one of my favorite parts of the Bible. This thing that I actually despised before actually makes a lot of sense to me, because at some point in time, you probably sat down and, you know, got your notebooks and got your pens out, and you're going to study, you're going to get into God's Word, and, and you're like, all right, here we go, and then you open it up, and you turn to something like Jeremiah, and you're like, oh my gosh, what in the world is happening here? Or you're in a different part of the Bible, you're like, bowls of wrath being poured out. What's that mean? Or 42 children being mauled to death by bears because they made fun of a bald guy, which is in the Bible, yeah. Uh, I was expecting something inspirational, Jesus, like what is happening here? This is not the, you know, uh, little devotional I thought it was going to be. It's a lot more complicated than that, and so then you give up. You're like, you know what, I went to all this work to get this ready. I'm not letting it go without posting this on social media. And so you pull out your Bible, you're like, I gotta make this thing look good, right? And you pull it which way, and you, you get your coffee and your pens and your notebook all right there, and you post it, you're like, just soaking in the daily bread of the Lord, which sounds disgusting, but whatever, it's bible talk, and I'll be honest with you, this is cynical of me, but every time I see somebody post something like that, I'm like, 
they gave up 10 seconds in. (laughs) I just assume that that's what happened because it's hard stuff. And if you don't invest the time, then it's gonna be hard to understand it long term. But if you can lean into that a little bit and say, okay, you know what? I'm going to be challenged by this. You will find some of the best fruit coming from books like Jeremiah, books like Ezekiel, books like Old Testament law even. Because then you start to see, ah, here's what's actually going on here. Before it read like a list of commands, now I understand what God is actually doing and saying what his people are responding to in this way. But you have to be willing to be challenged. And in our society, we do not like being challenged. If if something is not immediately understandable, we just want to kind of move right along with it. And you can see this all over the internet. Anytime somebody shares uh, an article without reading the article, which is like 99% of the things that are shared online, right? Here's the headline, no more. No context, nothing else to go with it. Why? Well, because reading is hard. It takes time. I don't want to have to try to understand it. I just like the headline. It confirms what I already believed. Therefore, let's put it on everybody's timeline. And we go through this this kind of way of living that we don't want to be challenged, and we don't want to work to understand much of anything. And when we live our life like that, honestly, things just don't go terribly well. Because if you're like that in your job, if the moment that you run into uh, a performance evaluation that doesn't reflect well upon you, and you know that it doesn't, that doesn't match up to what I know I can do here, if you walk out of that meeting, you say, I just gotta quit, they don't like how I performed the last quarter. Well then you might miss an opportunity to grow. Same thing in a relationship, the moment that your relationship hits a couple of bumps, if you say, I'm out of here. Again, you might miss the opportunity that God might have put right there before you to grow. Challenges are often put in our place so that we can grow. In fact, I am convinced of this, that your willingness to be challenged is directly related to your ability to grow. Those two are tied together. The more you're challenged, the more opportunity you have to grow. There's another person that wrote it like this. They said, Success is uh, determined by how much pain and work you can tolerate. Okay, that's pretty brutal, but I kind of like that. I mean, it it rings true, I know, in my life, and I think it probably does too, that you know the things that you've swept for, the things that you've fought for to earn, that it took a lot to get there. If you could not sweat the details, if you could not invest the time, then you're probably not going to pass the bar and become a lawyer. If you can't invest you know, the time in the gym and, and get your diet under control and, and show up early and stay late, you're probably not going to be a professional athlete. You might say, well, I'm not trying to be a lawyer or play in the NFL, so I guess I'm off the hook. But I really think that this is true as we follow Jesus as well. That your willingness to be challenged by Jesus is the limit of your ability to grow. Your willingness to be challenged by Jesus is the limit of your ability to grow. But we don't typically like the challenges. And the prophets, the prophets were known as people that walked out on stage and said, y'all need to change or else it's all going down in fire. Like this is about to end in flames and ashes unless you need to change. And everybody's response is probably about like your response if somebody came up and confronted you like that. You have one of two responses. Fight or flight. You say, I'm not the problem, you're the problem. 
which is generally how people responded to a lot of the prophets. They said, nuh-uh, which is a great response, right? Or they just left. They said, you know what? I don't want to listen to this. I'm out of here. And so they get up and they leave. Prophets had a really difficult job. They had to face disappointment constantly. They had frustration because the very people uh, that they're trying to save are the ones that are rejecting them. It's kind of like if you have a drowning man in front of you and you toss him a life vest thing and he bats it out of the way and says, no, why would you throw something at my face at a time like this? Can't you see that I'm drowning here? That's ridiculous, right? And that's what the prophet, the prophets look at their people and say, let me help you. I'm trying to do something good for you right now, but you keep batting it away as if it's unimportant stuff. The, the prophets uh, talked in, in Isaiah, he writes this really, I think, a, a good summary of what it's like to be a prophet. He's speaking on behalf of the Lord, and, and so he says this in Isaiah chapter 42, he says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. This is what a prophet does. They call you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. They walk with you through it. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the Gentiles. That's the point. Gentiles being people who are not Jewish. And so probably the majority of us in this room. The, what a prophet is trying to do is show you what a fully devoted life looks like. It's somebody who's walking with you. Some, you you're allowing God to hold your hand, show you every step along the way. So my hope is that you can learn to read the prophets a little bit and that you can learn to be led by God. Be led by God's spirit in your life that he can show you all sorts of different things. My other hope is that you have this, you grow in this willingness to grow. That you have this willingness to be challenged because Again, we all have this desire to kind of remain the status quo. A lot of people, it's just things are good how they are. I don't want to change anything. And what we know, not just from the prophets, but from Jesus himself, is that sitting still is not an option. Like, not changing, not adapting, not growing is not an option. Every single person in this room is getting older. You are changing. There is no point in time where you stay the same. You continue to age, the earth continues to spin and go around the sun and so on. We're all moving, we're all changing, we're all growing in some way. The challenge is, are you growing in the way God wants you to grow? Are you becoming the kind of person he wants you to become? The prophets, Old Testament prophets, uh, it's easy to think there are these kind of like odd people, and there's certainly some of that, but, but I think a good example of an American prophet would be somebody that we celebrated last week, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., He's a man who stood for what God's truth was. And he stood against the most powerful empire in the world. And when he stood against that, he suffered the consequences of standing against that. However, his message could not be more clear about who we are to worship, about who is the one that's in charge, and how he views society. Not how the legislators do, not how certain people do. And he, people didn't want to hear it. Some people didn't want to hear it to the point that he was shot. But as a result, because of this American prophet, we now can say that much work has been done and that much work has yet to be done. The prophetic calls us out of one life into another life. Sometimes it's done in prof uh, private. Um, 
Nathan and David. It's Old Testament story. David's the king. He's done some really bad stuff. His best friend, Nathan, pulls him aside and says, dude, you've done some bad stuff. You need to repent. Happens there. Sometimes it's done in public. Isaiah walked around naked for three years. We're going to be doing that sermon series uh, in a a couple of months. Uh, It'll be very rated R. The... uh, I am not secure enough in my body image, so uh, I'll just put that out there. You can save yourself the time there. Uh, other times, prophets lay on their sides for 390 days, make this thing of, of Jerusalem and destroy it like Play-Doh and have to cook food over human fecal matter. That's Ezekiel, who then begged God, please God, not human stuff, Animal dung, please. And God's like, fine, animal dung. And that was like the big give and take that Ezekiel had. There's a lot of stuff in the Bible that if you don't have a strong stomach, you're going to have a hard time reading it. But what you need to know about prophets, the bread and butter of what they did has to do with orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. And I love that framing of things. I like to talk about that a lot because I think it's a good way of understanding how the spiritual life works. See, a a prophet sees the world exactly how it is. Ah, here's really, and they have a clarity that other people do not have. And you know some of these people, they're really smart. You might understand a thing or two, but these other people, man, it seems like they get the core at it. Okay, so a prophet really gets the core of what's really happening at play. And then they bring in God's truth. So there's the orientation with the clarity. God's truth often leads to a disorienting experience. A lot of times we make up the spiritual life to say, when you come to Jesus, everything will make sense. Maybe it might really mess you up too. And that's okay. Disorientation is a part of the process of growing, and that's what prophets do. And so you have orientation where you see clarity. You have disorientation, which is God's truth. And God's truth always leads you somewhere, which is reorientation. And that reorientation, especially now that we know Jesus, we know exactly what reorientation looks like. It looks like love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. So the prophets are dealing with this, this kind of three-step thing. In fact, I think a lot of us, as we go through uh, life, we realize that, yeah, that's, that's pretty much what it's like. You're running into walls constantly, and you're having to figure out, how do I climb it? How do I get around it? How do I tear it down? I just got to get through it somehow. And, and that's very much what the prophets are up to. Now, something you should know, too, about the prophets is that they did not think the same way we think. When we talk about politics and religion, uh, well, they would do the same, but they would do so in a different way. Now, if you, as I talk about this, I'm not talking about, oh, does the pastor think church and state should be abolished? Like, it should all be one. We should be a theocracy or something like that. Absolutely not what I'm talking about. I'm actually talking about something a little bit more abstract here. Uh, something about the idea of what it means to be a religious person in the first place. Because back in the Old Testament, prophets uh, would have not drawn a delineation between political choices and religious choices. In fact, I would make an argument that they're 100% right. It's only within the last few hundred years in modernity that we've kind of started to separate these things out. That to say, well, oh, hold on, that sounds religious over there, and that sounds political over there. So let's take the religious stuff out, which is absurd. Again, think about Martin Luther King Jr. Go to him and say, Dr. King, I love your message. Just the religious stuff kind of bothers me. So could we just talk about policies and legislation instead? It's absurd. Why? 
Because the entire reason he was doing what he was doing was because of his religious convictions. Everything else is downstream from that. Everything else is downstream from that. It starts with your convictions, your, your religious convictions, it moves down. And you might think, well, maybe I'm not, uh, you're not a religious person. You don't fashion yourself a religious person. You don't know how you ended up here on some random Sunday hearing about Old Testament prophets, but here you are. Okay, that's fine. Some of the most religiously fundamental people I know are atheists. They're more fundamentalist about their faith than I am about mine, and I'm a pastor. Because they're so insistent about whatever their fundamental is. And it's held with religious vigor. See, religion is every single choice you make in your life. It's not just about God. It's about all of reality. The way you spend your money tells you, tells me what you worship, what you think takes priority. The way you spend your time tells me, tells all people how you, what you think is most important. And so as we consider like what the prophets are talking about, they're not just talking about religious stuff. And they're not also just talking about political machinations of how to avoid certain things. No, no, no. It's all one big mess of spaghetti. And you can't pull it out. It's kind of like Play-Doh. If you, you know, take two different colors and mash them all together, you're never going to get them separated again. And that's okay. As far as the God is concerned, it's all part of what it looks like to live a life in Christ. This is, this is a messy thing. So when you read the Bible, what you're really seeing is you're seeing people who are living their life before God. They're living their life before God. Every single decision they make, your morning routine, whether it involves coffee or tea or water or a shower or breakfast, whatever your morning routine kind of is, is a liturgical act. It is a part of your life, a religious part of your life that shows what you believe. Now, what that means is that every seat you ever sit in has the opportunity to be a holy place. Every room in your house, everywhere you stand, every meal has the opportunity to be a lot like communion of remembering who God is and what he has provided for you. Everything is religious, has the opportunity to be so. So where are you going to give your praise? Where are you going to give your attention? How are you going to devote yourself? When you read about somebody in the Bible, when you, any person really, you're reading about somebody who's living their life in the presence of God. The question isn't, are they or are they not religious? The question is, is their religion any good? Is the way that they're living life actually leading to more life? Or is it just kind of vain? Or is it just kind of greedy? Or is it something else? And when you do that, you start seeing things through the lens that prophets see things. In fact, one of the interesting things, too, is that Jesus thought he was a prophet. He considered himself a prophet. Uh, the New Testament scholar N.T. Wright wrote this. He said, Jesus regarded his ministry as in continuity with and bringing to a climax the work of the great prophets of the Old Testament. Like Elijah or Jeremiah, Jesus was proclaiming a message from the covenant God and living it out with symbolic actions. If you want to have a better understanding of Jesus, it would do you real well to go back into the Old Testament and find some of the books that Jesus read and to, to learn about some of the people that Jesus knew full well he was mimicking even in some way. As Christians, we believe that God is always calling us out of something. And at the end of the day, what this is simply called is a prophetic act. You're being called out of one thing into another thing. And when we, what we do, especially as Christians, when we follow Jesus, we believe we are called out of one life 
into a new life, and that new life is a life that is found in him, in God, in Jesus. So when we do that, we're performing a prophetic act. We're self-oriented people who are maybe selfish, and we're saying, hey, hey, it's not about you, it's about us. Or we go to greedy people and we say, hey, 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 I, we know that you, know you like to see the number go up, you like to buy more things and all that, but what if it's not about how much you can accumulate? What if it's about how much you can give? What if it's about how much you can bless even with your neighbors and your neighborhood? It is a prophetic faith and your willingness to be confronted by Jesus will be the limit of your ability to grow in him. Your willingness to be challenged is directly tied to your willingness to grow. If you want to grow more, then you have to be willing to be challenged. And we see prophetic calls all the time in scripture. Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 12. He says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, and here's where he gets prophetic. Here's where he claims this out. He says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And again, notice what he's saying there. He's not saying worship is when you show up and the lights go up and the you know, music gets loud and your favorite song is, no, no, no. An offered, a, a life that is sacrificed to him is your true and proper worship. That means everything, everything you've done already today is a part of that. Do not conform to the pattern of the world. Oh my gosh, yes. Live differently. Be called out of that. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He's calling you out of something. He's taking your orientation. He's adding disorientation into that by saying, the, uh, do not conform to the pattern of this world. And then he's offering you something else. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we talk about this a lot at the church here. Uh, we, we talk about being baptized because when you're baptized, you have your life lived right here. This is you. This is you living your life for whatever your motivations are, whatever's going on in your heart. And then when you're baptized, you go under the water. And you offer your body, in a sense, as a sacrifice. It's symbolic, of course. You're under the water, and then you come up, and you're what? You're raised in new life. And I truly believe this. I really do believe this. That the person who stands up in the baptistry when they are soaking wet is not the same person who was dry just a minute before. That that person is qualitatively, and in some quantitative way, I just haven't figured out how to quantify it, is different, that person is made new, they are not the same at all, they have been transformed and they are now living in a new reality. That is a prophetic act. Now, when you say to prophesy, often you think of what? The future. Oh, somebody's gonna prophesy. Well, really, prophets proclaim, and to prophesy is really to proclaim. So in that sense, I am a prophet. I am proclaiming something right now as a pastor, uh, as a preacher. But to prophesy, often we think of predictive prophecy, right? And if we, when you talk about prophets, that might have even been one of the things that popped into your head. Is he gonna tell us when the world is gonna end? Finally, somebody's going to let us know because all these dummies have been getting it wrong for decades, but Austin's going to give us God's truth on this, 2020, I don't know, six. Uh, there you go. If it happens, I'm amazing. Uh, I'm not claiming that. Uh, we, what we want is we want often to know the future. And the reason we want to know the future 
let's be honest, isn't to grow in our trust of God. The reason a lot of times we want to know the future is so that we don't have to trust as much because we're living in fear. Oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Uncertainty. Oh, I, I, just, I just wish I knew what the right decision was about what school to go to. I wish I could just peek ahead five years into the future. Or I, I wish uh, I knew who to marry. Or I wish I knew if I needed to take that job or this job. Or I wish I knew if I need to retire now or in three more years. Or, and I get it. I get it. I don't know a stage of life where I didn't wish I knew like what the five-year mark ahead of me was. We always want to have a little bit of that. But the point of predictive prophecy is rarely, rarely to, well, actually, it's never to just make people fear less. The point of predictive prophecy actually has less to do with predictions, even though that happens. Jesus offers predictive prophecies as well, but it's really kind of a simple way of looking at the world of saying, hey, you keep living like this. If you keep living like this, here's what's going to happen. If you expect God to, be, God to be tolerating all the things that you're up to, you just need to know that there's going to come a time where God's going to say, we need to hit the reset button. And there's a history of this, if you read the Old Testament, of God saying, of God, people having to go back to God and say, oh, we're so sorry, could you fix this? Or, or please spare us the punishment of that. And, and sometimes God's willing, and sometimes God's like, well, you know what? This is what happens when you do the things that you're doing. And so what often happens is predictive prophecy looks a lot more like consequences. Kind of like when your daughter shows up with her new boyfriend, and he wants to, uh, he doesn't have a job, he dropped out of school. He wants to be an influencer full-time. He doesn't have any followers. He doesn't really know what he wants to be an influencer for, but he's got some ambition and some ideas. And you look at your daughter, and you offer her a predictive prophecy. This is not going to work, honey. You can do better. That is a predictive prophecy. And you know what? That might be a good one. Uh, I got two girls. Hopefully, I do not have to use that predictive prophecy much. Uh, but we're, we're not going to spend our time talking about predictive prophecy because that's not the focus really of any part of the Bible at all. Even the book of Revelation is not about predictive prophecy. It's actually an apocalypse. It's a revealing. It's showing you what's going on underneath the surface that you might not normally see. It's not about the future. So anybody that gives you a roadmap is, you know, well, here's, you know, when it's going to happen and how it's going to happen because the book of Revelation is treating Revelation like it's, I don't know, uh, Google Maps as opposed to a book written in the first century about things that were happening in the first century. So that's a side point, but uh, what we're doing as a church is we're inviting people out to live a new life. So our church is very much what I would call and what many people call a prophetic community. And we did this already just last year. We tried to do this a lot, of course. We don't just invite individuals to find life in Jesus. That is a very good thing. That is part of our uh, uh, prophetic community. But we actually did this in this series called Be Rich, where we said, hey, let's go be rich together. And of course, if you have friends, or even if you're like me and you're generally a pretty cynical person, you hear that and you're like, be rich. Is this one of those health and wealth things? Is this what this church is about, just trying to pad their own pocketbook so the pastor can drive a fancy car and all that stuff? So then you show up and you listen and you say, oh, hold on, be rich. Be rich in good deeds is where we get this, which is what Paul told his protege, Timothy. And so did we collect money? We absolutely did. And we gave every single penny of that away. So we gave away thousands of dollars to local partners to help serve those in need. And then we gave as much as we could of our time, thousands of man hours across our church, across our community to show people, when we say be rich, this is what it means. 
It subverts so much of what society says when it talks about being rich. We say, no, 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 be rich is where you actually give of your time instead of holding on to it and give of your money because it's not just about us, it's about meeting the needs of others. And when we do this, we do this prophetic act of showing our community, here's what we think is important. It's not just about us, this is about everybody. Everybody gets to get looped into this. And that is a hard calling. In Scottsdale and Phoenix, where we live, this is a hard place to, to live prophetically, to live differently, because there's, it's so easy sometimes. It's so easy to just sit in the lazy river of life and just kind of float around, get your paycheck, make your decisions, which way that you want to go that way, what kind of thing you want to get here or there. That's the temptation, But God never, never once on a single page of scripture says, I just want you to stop growing and to stop moving and to stop doing something. Yes, sit still in prayer. That's a different thing. That's not what we're talking about. But we're we're talking about God wants us to constantly be looking for injustice, constantly be looking to have people's needs met, constantly be looking to say, if our God is this loving God who has accepted me and given me new life, then I want to go and do that for my community, for my friends, for my neighbors, for everybody. And that's our job as a prophetic community, to draw people out of that. And that's going to go against your natural inclinations because we like comfort. We don't like being challenged, but your ability to be challenged by Jesus is the limit of your ability to grow in him. We have to be willing to be challenged. That means we have to be willing to get uncomfortable. I have three little kids, uh, when they were really little, when they were like kind of the newborn infant age, they would do this stuff that would drive us, my wife and I, insane. They'd choose a story, and then you'd sit down and you'd read it to them. And then you finish it, last page goes, and they say, again. Uh-huh. And at first, you know, a nude parent, like, oh, okay, I'll read it again. But then the seventh time that they want to read it, Again, you can't take any more of little bedtime Betty. You need Betty to shut her eyes and go to sleep. So they find a song they like, and they say, oh, can I listen to it again and again and again? Then they find a clicking noise that they make with their mouth, and they really like that clicking noise, and they start doing that, and it drives you insane as a parent, right? And and psychologists have known this for a long time, uh, why kids do this stuff. When you're a kid, when you're a newborn, I'm talking like little baby, every single thing that you're doing is unfamiliar. Mama's womb was the best place to be. Very predictable food, like you didn't even have to open your mouth, just straight into the belly. Life is good in the womb, right? But now you're in this cold place with these other humans, some of which might be related to you, others not, you don't know, and you don't understand anything. You don't even understand your own body. Your bowels aren't fine. You don't have no control over any of this stuff. You can't see right. Like all of these things are happening, and it's so unfamiliar. And then you find that thing, that book. Ooh, and now you feel like you understand something. I understand this book. This book gives me comfort and security. Ah, I understand how to make that noise with my mouth. That noise gives me comfort and security. And you found these tiny little pieces of grace in your life and your little kids find this stuff and it makes them feel warm and secure, almost like going back into mama's womb. 
Ah, this is good. This is predictable. I can now, and, and we know kids grow uh, best when they feel safe, when they feel secure and all of that. And that's just one of the developmental parts of what it's like to have a little kid. It's basically nine parts being driven insane, one part helping them grow. But the, the kids do this stuff. Now, here's what I know. Adults aren't much different. We love our echo chambers, don't we? We love it when people th- say things that we agree with, don't we? And then when somebody says something we disagree with, idiot, right? <laughs> Just dumb. Ah, you don't get it. All right, move along, change channel. Let's, let's figure out what else is going on in the world. Uh, it, it, we love it when people say and do things. And, and here's what I know too. None of us Christians are, are free from this. We want to show up to church with the same old people, don't we? We want to sit in the same seats, listen to the same songs, hear the same sermons, more or less, creative redundancy, but keep it simple. Go home feeling the same so that we can continue to go on the lazy river of life and just float through unscathed. Jesus does not promise us that. And that's not the message you get from a prophet. What we know is that that's not how things grow. In fact, the church that I want to be a part of isn't a church that says, I just want things to be comfortable all the time. No, I want to be a part of a church that says, how uncomfortable can we get? So we canceled, when we did Be Rich, we canceled service on Sunday morning, if you guys were here, and we just did service projects for people in the community around our campus. It was awesome. Uh, So so I, I want us to get uncomfortable. I don't want us to get worried about whether or not we even like certain things because I just want us to worry about whether or not we're following after God's spirit. Because if anything is true, we know that the way that we do church is always going to change. It's always going to change. And the moment we stop changing is the moment we get on the lazy river of church world. And we lose our prophetic witness to our friends and our neighbors because we stop trying to say, hey, how can we serve them? How can we meet the needs? And we start saying, you know what? This is good enough. I'm good where I'm at. And I want to be a part of a church that never thinks that this is good enough, whatever this is. And so we're going to continue to do things. We're going to continue to experiment around and some things will work and some things probably won't and I'm okay with all of that. But what I know is that we are going to be a church that is willing to be challenged in all sorts of ways because that is how we grow. That is how we grow. When we stop being willing to be challenged is the moment that we kind of put an expiration date on our ability to reach our friends and neighbors. So, in order to do this, we have to get uncomfortable. Let me tell you a few truths uh, that will help you to get uncomfortable, okay? First one's this, no human is right all the time. No human is right all the time. Number two, you are a human. See where this is going? Number three, there are times that you are wrong about something even though you think that you're right and everybody else is a dummy. All right, let's try this again. No human is right all the time. Number two. Your pastor is a human, apparently. All right. Number three. There are times when your pastor will be wrong about something, even though he thinks he's right. I did not add that in there, but I did put this part in uh, at the end. He's mostly right. Uh, (laughs) Uh... 
Too many of us get our interpretation of the world, uh, our interpretation of politics or economics or morality and ethics, too many of us get our interpretation of such things from people who do not care one tiny bit for God's word, who do not care one tiny iota for what God wants to see in the world. And if we spent more time with people like Jeremiah, if we spent more time with people like Jesus, if we spent more time with the prophets, then perhaps we would see that that the world is a better place, not when we just see people yelling at each other, not when people just have the boldness to speak, but rather when people have the humility to listen. And that's what I want us to be as a church, for us to be people that, yes, have the boldness to speak out, but also sit back and listen. Listen to one another. Listen to people who are different than us. So here's my prayer for us. Uh, my prayer is that we are willing to be challenged in the faith so that we can grow in Christ-likeness. I got three things on how to do this. This isn't going to solve your life problems, but it's going to help you. I promise you this. If you do these three things, this is going to help you. Uh, this week, here's what you can do. First, practice fallibility. Practice fallibility. You are fallible. You are finite. And judging by the elbows going into, you know, spouse's arms here, this is not... Uh, this is news to some people and not to others. We all know this. It, it shouldn't be a shock to anybody. You're not perfect. You are limited as a human. Great. Fine. What do you do with that then? The next time you're at work and you want to bite somebody's head off, remind yourself, even if you are right, remind yourself that you too have been in that position. And ask yourself, is this the best thing to do? There's nothing you can do with anger that you could not do better with love. So perhaps you can reorient there. The next time you're about to make that snarky comment to your spouse, remind yourself that you too, yes, make mistakes. Remind yourself that you are fallible. There's this prayer. It's an ancient prayer. It's from uh, a part of Jesus's life. Uh, it's a prayer that I pray every time I get up and preach. I don't say it out loud. I say it in my head, in my heart, and I repeat it time again. Here's what it is. It's called the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It reminds me, ah yes, I too am in need of, need of mercy. And here's what I know about this prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Is that God answers that prayer every single time it's prayed. It does not matter who is the one praying it. He always, every single time, answers that prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, the sinner. And sometimes it takes me about five or six times of saying it before I actually mean it. You know what I'm saying there? Like, it takes a while to be like, okay, yes, this is where I'm at right now. I really do. This is not about me. Rather, this is about whatever you want to do in and through me. And in any situation where you are feeling like you just need to Remind yourself, remind yourself, practice fallibility. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That might be a help, healthy rhythm for you to adopt into your life. That's uh, the first thing. Second thing, ask yourself, why does this thing trigger me? What is the thing that's happening in your life that is just still just getting at you? Why is it that money always seems to trigger you? Why is it that that relationship or that situation always seems to trigger you? Why is this happening to you? It's okay to get defensive. If you get defensive, that means you are human. Congratulations, you get that much. But what's not okay is to live in that uh, fight or flight mindset. We understand, okay, we've been confronted. Let's take a step back here and let's 
just ask that question. Why do I feel like I'm being attacked right now? Maybe you are being attacked. Okay, are you safe? If so, let's figure this out. Because maybe figuring out why you feel so triggered in this situation, why you feel so frustrated and angry in this situation, is the key to you being able to grow. So, we learn to ask that question. Why am I uh, tempted to run right now? Why am I trying to ignore this right now? Why am I being triggered right now? And when you ask that question, when you can get down to the bottom of that, what you'll find is that the Holy Spirit starts working in your life in a bit of a new way. You're willing to be challenged, and now Jesus is going to use that to grow you, and the Holy Spirit in you is going to continue to do good work. Last thing, take responsibility. Take responsibility. You are not perfect. There are some areas of your life that you need to grow. This is true for every single one of us. Real progress in your life, though, comes at great expense. I don't know anybody who accomplished anything significant that did not have some big pain in the process. Nothing comes easy, does it? And why would we expect, if this is how God has kind of made all of life, why would we expect following him to be much different? What we know is that we have to take responsibility for what's going on. This happens when uh, the old is swept away and the new comes in. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians. He says, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. May we be people who are willing to do the hard work, who are willing to be challenged and dig deep and find on the other side this reorientation that God had planned from the beginning. May we be a community who's willing to be challenged and to be going out into the world not just living for our own good, but to, but to live for the good of our neighbors, our friends, and all people that we encounter, that people see Jesus in us. And when they do that, that prophetic act, they're gonna, we're going to pray for this, that people feel that conviction to say, yes, that makes a lot of sense. That's the Jesus I can believe in. Amen. May that be so for us. Let's pray. Father, you've given us these ancient men, ancient women who have led, Lord, and led in faithful ways that I don't think any of us will ever fully be able to understand. Lord, that the, these men and women that were challenged, that were persecuted, that just did the most odd things, all because of faithfulness to you. Lord, and we know that you're asking us, us individually in, in each of our own hearts, and I lift up those that might be considering something heavy right now, Lord, that, that you work in their heart right now, that, that you remind them not just of what can be, but, or not just of what they're going through right now, but what can be here in the future, of what you have in store for them, something that is good, something that is better. Lord, I ask that you do that for our church as well, that you help us to see beyond the stage, help us to see beyond Sunday mornings, and to see our calling as deeply rooted with our friends, our families, our neighbors, our co-workers, to be lights in their life and to invite them into a new life. Lord, I ask a blessing on everyone here right now, those watching online, those not here. Lord, we, we know that you are at work in all things, and we ask your blessing upon all of it. It's in the name of Jesus I ask this. Amen.